0: This is The Real Estate Rookie, show number 25.
1: I've been to some properties that are way over-improved, and it's really sad because the owner's like, well, I put this into it. The sad response to that is that doesn't really matter. What matters is what the market is valuing this property at.
0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Ashley Care, and I am here with my co-host Felipe Mejia, and today he is a little upset because nobody brought up him flexing or oh his my biceps in this Why episode. are we talking
2: about this? <laughs> I asked Josiah in the show. I was like, Josiah, you're going to leave that out, right? We're not going to talk about this time. I'm trying to break that curse.
0: <laughs> that was the our, before we started recording the one thing he wanted to ask Josiah.
2: <laughs> Josiah who is our guest today is an appraisal. He also invests in real estate. And I was really excited to have him on the show because he's given some great tips on how to actually add value to your property when you're going to do the birth strategy or you're going to refinance or even for lines of credit. You know, Part of everyone's strategy is how do I get my money back, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking about. And Josiah dropped some huge nuggets on how to truly add value to your property.
0: Yeah. And he just goes through how to actually read an appraisal report and what are the different kinds of formulas. And you find out my new nickname too. (laughs) (laughs) So make sure you guys listen. And at the end, he gives actually a really great tip just for buying rental property in general or buying any kind of property for flip, whatever, really great tip as to how to find that hidden value. And Felipe adds nicely to that tip too.
3: Yeah.
4: That's R E N T R E D I dot and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets Investor, for six months of Rent Ready for only one dollar.
0: Welcome to the show. Can you please tell everyone a little bit about yourself, Josiah, and let's get this started.
1: Yeah, man, I'm pumped to be here, Ashley and Felipe. It's uh, it's a bit surreal because. I had each of you on my podcast, The Daily Real Estate Investor, before you guys started this, and I was actually really excited to see you guys start this new BP podcast. And now you're interviewing me, so this is this is awesome, man. I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm excited about all the all the momentum you guys have too. So I really appreciate you having me on.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's you. such a pleasure
1: to have you on, man. It's it's really exciting because it's
2: kind of full circle, right? You've recorded us, you've interviewed us, you've had me, you've had Ashley. Obviously, my podcast did way better than Ashley's did. We all know that. You don't have to say it out loud. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Josiah, though, seriously, though, can you tell us a little bit of background? Who you are? What you do? What's your strategy? Just the whole bit. 30,000 foot view.
1: Yeah, Sure. So I live in Huntsville, Alabama. I'm 39 years old, married, got three small children. My oldest is six, middle is five, youngest is two. And I'm I'm an appraiser. I'm a licensed appraiser. I have my certified general appraisal license, which means I can appraise both commercial and residential. I run my own appraisal business out of my house, and I also have an investment property portfolio. It's it's 20 doors worth around four million dollars. So they each property is worth on average about two hundred thousand dollars. And I built that portfolio using the burr strategy, which I discussed on my Bigger Pockets episodes that you can go check out if you want that whole backstory. But I had a lot of fun and it was quite the experience building that and also finishing it during COVID, you know, trying to go through the refinances during March and April. That was quite the experience. But my goal is now to scale into multifamily. And so I'm excited about this episode, though, because we're going to get to dive into all things appraisal which, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand appraisers. Sometimes I don't understand appraisers, and I am an appraiser. So this is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, Felipe and I have been so excited to have an appraiser (laughs) on, and then even more excited when we found it was you, because I think it's even more awesome to hear from an appraiser who's also an investor. So we kind of get the mix of of both sides of it. So why don't you tell us a little bit of how you became an appraiser and what that process was to become one?
1: Yeah, so... I made the mistake of getting a degree in accounting in college. Um, Me too. <laughs> did you really? That's, that's yeah, hilarious. Accounting
0: and finance.
1: <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I've run into that were accounting majors that completely ditched that profession. And I, I'm yeah. not trying to discourage people currently working in accounting because my accountant is awesome. I mean, I couldn't do what I do without him and he's, he's great at real estate accounting specifically. But I was doing audit right out of college for PwC, big four accounting firm, working 95 hours a week. And it just completely burned me out. And I didn't like having to sit in a cubicle. I'm not a great employee. I'm much better working for myself. And I just felt, I felt really stifled and kind of cramped in that environment. And so I left that job. I didn't exactly know what I wanted to go into, but I knew I wanted to do something else. And I went and spent some time working at an orphanage in Rwanda because I wanted to do something I felt good about. I didn't feel good about my audit work. And I, and so I went and did that for a few months while I was working at the orphanage in Rwanda. I got an email from one of my best friends and he said, Hey, I just left my boss. I'm going to start my own appraisal business. And I'd love for you to be, I'd love for you to train under me and get your license and he had his certified residential license. And this was in Fort Worth, Texas. And I said, I don't really know anything about appraisal, but I love real estate. And I love the idea of investing in real estate. And I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all these real estate books. I had no property at all. But I was like, I like this idea. I like this concept. So yeah, let's do it. I, didn't, I wasn't married, didn't have a family to support. And so I was like, I can take this pay cut to get this license and learn how to value property. So that's kind of how I got going. Um, I don't know if you want to dive into any of that or not, but just, and then from there I ended up upgrading to certified general Worked for CBRE, which is many of you probably familiar with that CBRE is the largest real estate services firm in the world, fortune 500 company, but there, they had me on the valuation side. And so I was, I was the multifamily specialist on my appraisal team. And so they sent me out to do all the apartments and mobile home parks and I did that because I wanted to own apartments one day. And that's kind of where I am in my journey as an investor right now. My portfolio is all one to four family. And I'm now trying to scale in and start buying multifamily. So that's that's at a very high level how I got into appraisal. That's really interesting.
2: I guess my question is going to be from there. And I know everyone's burning to ask the question, what really adds value to a property when it comes to appraisals? <laughs> What's Where should I actually put my money where is, I know that when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm fast forwarding through all this. I'm like, okay, where's the good stuff? And then I am like reading through people's <laughs> notes. All right. At four minutes and 32 seconds, he talks about this, right? So let's, uh, you know, my question to you, man, is going to be, wh- where, where does that come? Like after now that you've been doing this for a while, where can you prove value in a property to get the highest appraisal, pr- you know, possible?
1: Yeah. So you're probably going to hear me say this a lot in this episode, but it depends, right? So... With a caveat that you can figure this out, but it's gonna depend on your market. Different things are valued differently depending on where you're located. So, you know, if if you're in an area where there's a lot of basement properties, that's just a common thing. You know, that's gonna be looked at differently than if you're here. And, you know, I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. If you're in Alabama and there's not a lot of basement properties, if you're comparing one property that has a basement to a property that doesn't have a a basement, those are gonna look very different. Dollar per square foot, right? So the best thing you can do when you're trying to figure out what will add the most value to a property is find properties that are similar in square footage, similar in bed bath counts, and similar in location as far as like neighborhood, and then look at what they sold for and then start looking at the amenities and the differences in those properties. And it's never going to be as clean and easy as just, well, they're, the, they're exactly the same, except one has granite and one doesn't. I mean, it's never that easy, but a lot of times you can tell this property was 1,500 square feet, three bed, two bath, two car garage in same neighborhood. And it did not have granite. There was no fresh paint. It didn't have stainless steel appliances. And it sold for $15,000 less than this property over here. Similar square footage, same bed, bath, two car garage, same neighborhood without the paint, granite and stainless steel. So you can, you can look at that and say, okay, if I do stainless steel, granite and repaint this, I could bump it by 15,000. Now, how much is that going to cost me? And if it costs 10,000, then you're, you're getting a 50% ROI on doing that work. And you have to figure out whether it's worth your time and the risk and the, you know, you got to figure out how to borrow the money and all that. So always try to figure out, you know, how you're going to improve things. And it's, it's easy. Like if you're doing appraisal work in a market, like, like I'm doing my appraisal work here in Huntsville, I can tell you what the best ways to improve your properties are here, but that might not apply if you're in, you know, South Dakota or something. So I don't want to give like, just always do this because you need to look at your market specifically, but there are generally some things that you can focus on.
0: So we actually have one of our rookie request line voicemails for you. So I think the first one will actually kind of relate to this question. So this question is from Alex from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How does one determine the greatest value add on a property in a given area? Thank you.
1: Yeah. So it's going to be like just what we were talking about. Like try to find some comparable sales. And if you don't have access to the MLS, you're going to need it. Right. So call your agent, or if you are an agent, you can easily pull this information yourself. Find someone that can pull some data for you. And anything appraisal, you gotta think, an appraiser is an independent third party. They're hired to value this property at market value, right? So you wanna always approach appraisers and your appraisal process with data. It doesn't matter what you feel about the property. It matters what you can prove. So I look at appraisers like, they're like, a, they're like attorneys that got stuck in the real estate world, right? Valuing properties. They gotta be able to, to write a legal document. They could be trying to defend in court and they gotta fill it with data. So what you need to do when you're trying to figure out the best way to improve your property is approach it with data as well. And if you've got three comps, two of them have granite like we were talking about, the other one doesn't and everything else is the same, you can look at the price bump you're getting on both those properties and figure out kind of what that granite's doing for you. It's difficult sometimes because you may have several different things going on, but you can get a general idea.
0: And let's make a a point here as to when you talk about comparables, you're looking at houses that have sold, not houses that are listed and what the listing price is because that property might not sell for that. So it's important to pull those comps for properties that already sold. And you can find, I mean, it's great to have someone... You know who has access to the MLS, like a realtor. But you could also go on Realtor.com or Zillow, and you can actually search on there recently sold. And you're not going to get as much or probably as accurate information as you would um, getting it directly from the source. But it's at least a, a starting point. Is there any other places that someone could find this data that you recommend?
1: Uh, honestly, that not, not anywhere that's going to stack up nearly as good to this. Yeah. This is the best way to do it because you don't want something that's not up to date, right? You want something that's going to be current and you know, the best data, like, let's just play like you could get the very best data you wanted. You would get sales that happened in the last 30 days, right? You'd get something that's current, you know, you'd get a property that sold next door last week. That's the same as you mostly, square footage, bed, bath, and then try to figure out the amenities they had. And then you'd be able to figure out what the best ways to juice the ROI on your properties are. I know people are looking for general things you can do. My thoughts on general things you can do, the best places you can spend money is gonna be kitchens and bathrooms. And then another great place a lot of people don't talk about is easily added or converted square footage with the caveat that I highly recommend you get it permitted and don't try to sneak that by and then have to undo your work later because you may get through without doing that right and that's you know not not have any negative repercussions but in the 1 in 10 chance that they ask did you pull a permit and you didn't and they make you tear down what you did it could be a big a big ordeal so the properties that we've purchased that were distressed and fixed up and had the best experience on creating a ton a ton of equity has been properties that we've actually converted square footage on or added square footage to and so, yeah, kitchens, bathrooms, and then adding square footage is what works best in my market. And I, I would guess that kitchens and bathrooms in most every market's applicable and adding square footage too. But, you know, that's that's kind of across the board, I think, something that's always good to focus on.
2: That's That's interesting because when, as an investor, when I'm looking at a property, even before I'm buying it, that's one of the first things that I'm looking at as well. Like, you know, how much is it going to cost me to get the kitchen and the bathrooms up to date? You know, what where where can I put my money to get the best bang for your buck, right? I mean, so so that's sure. one of the things that I'm analyzing for sure. We had this next question a lot. and and I, and I'd really like to hear your answer on it, us uh, from Alex in Hagerstown. I hope I'm saying that, right? So Alex asks, how much information would be appreciated, and how much is overstepping and giving them <laughs> more than they need to know? If you had past appraisals, can we share the comps and if we've done upgrades, can we share what we've done and how much we've spent on those upgrades? Thanks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I can't I can't speak for every appraiser out there, but I don't I I don't know. I've never heard of any appraiser getting upset that someone offered to send a past appraisal to them. If you have a copy of your former former appraisal, you can tell the appraiser, "Hey, I got this appraised a couple years ago. I can shoot you a copy if you'd like to see it." Most appraisers are going to say, "Yeah, I'd love to see it," because they want to see what was done, what kind of comps were used. Appraisers like data, once again. Like you're giving you're you're you're, you're feeding a hungry dog by giving them data. So, "Hey, just can I cut you off there real quick?" So, sure. on my Instagram, I did a
2: live when my appraiser was doing one of my rental properties, and he yeah. asked me to be outside. I brought all my data, I brought all my upgrades, I brought everything. Can you think of why maybe he did that? Like I was trying to show him everything after or before, and he just asked me to stay outside on <laughs> IG Live. I was like, Oh, okay.
1: Whatever. It it's probably it's probably because there's a lot of I don't know who your appraiser is. I have no <laughs> no, no. No, I, I know. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering because you, you're yeah.
2: saying like you're saying, you know, most people want to hear. And I you're maybe I just got that one percent dude, but he's he straight up said, No, you just You can wait outside. I'll be done in 15 minutes. In and out. Was
0: it during COVID, though? (laughs) No. Uh, No? Oh.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I I, Just interesting. He just told me to stay. He's like, no, you can just wait outside, in and out, and it appraised for what I wanted. So I didn't care. But I was like, I didn't get to do the experience of like, I wanted to show him everything I'd done.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of appraisers are, they have like, they have financial PTSD from being pushed on by people for values. So, he probably maybe a reason he didn't want to do that is he felt like if he had two thousand people watching him do his job, he would be pressured to 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 make something you wanted. I don't know. I don't know why he would have done that, done that. yeah there's a, a you know a lot of appraisers are are very introverted. I'm not the typical appraiser. like I like talking to people. I like meeting people. A lot of appraisers are kind of introverted people that just kind of want to go get their job done and not really talk to people. And it's, they don't enjoy being on the phone. They don't like answering phone calls. And so like I've always tried to understand my audience and give the appraiser data. Like I typically email it to them. I say, Hey, I want to email you the updates I made to the property. I let them know what I bought it for when I bought it, the updates I made, I itemize the costs for all that stuff and I send it to them in a PDF I don't ever tell the appraiser what I want them to appraise a property for because you're not supposed to do that, right? You're not supposed to influence the value of the property. They're an independent third party. However, you can also tell them, hey, these are the comps I found, you know, and forward those as well. They don't have to use them and it's likely they won't use them all because most appraisers are going to, they're going to pull their own comps and go with what they think are the best comps. And that's what their job is, is pulling the best data but if you, you know, it's, it's likely that if you pulled good comps, they're using the same comps anyway. So and now if you find a comp that they don't have access to or didn't use and you give that to give that to them and it's actually good data, they will very likely use it. So a good example of this would be uh, if, if an appraiser is doing an appraisal on a brand new build and they get on the MLS and they find one sale in that neighborhood because there's only been five houses built and only one of them's been on the MLS, and they can't get a hold of the builder, the builder doesn't answer their phone or whatever, they're going to start looking for comps outside that neighborhood. So if after or if during the appraisal process, you know, the builder calls the appraiser and says, Hey, I've got four sales for you. The appraiser's gonna be like, send them over because I don't have access to those. You know what I mean? So Another example would be if something sold off market and you're in a non-disclosure state where the information is not going to be online and you have access to data on a sale that's not on the MLS and you can't pull on public records, then you could get that information to an appraiser as long as it can be verified with like, you know, you've got something to verify what you're saying, like, you know, some kind of closing doc or something to show that it's legit. They can use that. So you shouldn't be scared of appraisers, but you just can't influence the value on your appraisal. Um you you can't do that. You can provide data though. And so that's that's what I would encourage people to do is provide data. So
2: don't just give your opinion. Make sure that you're providing your opinion with data. Don't just say, hey, I feel like my property is worth this much. Well that's nice that you feel that way, but can you prove it with some data?
1: You can imagine that most everybody thinks their property is the best property on the block, right? (laughs) Mine are all of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Of course.
0: I want to go back to the introverted thing you said real quick about how some appraisers are like that. And we had Rose Buckley, a home inspector on, I think it was (laughs) episode 11. And she talked about like, she's like, get out of my way. This is, you know, my routine. This is how I get this done. And I just want to go through the house. And, you know, she talks about people trying to look over her shoulder, but she works best when she just goes through, she has a system she does and, and stuff like that. I honestly would probably feel the same way of like, this is my process and, any inspector or appraiser that I've worked with, sometimes they'll ask me for information, especially the commercial ones. But I've always found yep. that like emailing the data ahead of time before they even get to the property has, I think, worked well. I haven't had any of them complain that I'm trying to push no. too much information. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and commercial appraisers are more likely to ask you for data because there's not as much public data available yeah. for them. Commercial appraising is is a more difficult job than residential. Residential is... My average residential job probably takes the drive time takes me more time than the actual appraisal does, because what you're doing is measuring the house. You're going inside and taking pictures of each room in the house. And, you know, if you've got a one story, 1200 square foot box of a house, measuring the house may take all of five minutes. You know what I mean? And then going inside, taking your pictures, doing the interior inspection, that may take a few minutes. So you could, if if you've got a relatively easy measure on your hands and a small house, the inspection may take all of like 10, 20 minutes, but your drive out there may take an hour, right? And your drive Mm -hmm. back may take another hour. And then you got to type the report up. So, and people often say, well, that appraiser only spent 15 minutes at my house. And you're like, yeah, but they spent an hour driving out there, hour driving back and an hour and a half typing the report up. Like, don't think that that's all they're doing. It's just measuring your house and that's it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But inspect, it's funny because inspectors, inspectors are always like, you know, they're crawling around and underneath the house and doing all this dirty work and they see the appraiser come out and they're there 20 minutes and leave. They're like, I hate you guys. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah.
0: When you talked about giving them comps for like off-market deals or things that might not be available to an appraiser, what about if you own a property that would be a comp, And it wasn't recently sold, but you recently had an appraisal on it. Would that be something of value that an appraiser would want if you gave them that appraisal from the other property?
1: Are you referring to like residential or what? um... Or
0: or commercial, residential or commercial. If I own two properties and you're coming to appraise property A and I had an appraisal done on property B, you know, a year ago or so. But I had purchased it maybe five years ago.
1: Yeah, If I give yeah. you that so, appraisal, would that
0: be valuable?
1: So if you're if you're talking residential, typically you're dealing with conventional loans, a lot of conventional and FHA loans, that kind of stuff, right? VA. They want sales that happened in the last 12 months, if not the last six months. So if okay. you're handing them an appraisal on another property that you own that didn't, the sale didn't occur in the last 12 months, you could give it to them and they could look at your data and stuff, but they're going to go try to find recent sales.
0: So it's not going to be a comparable because it's not not going to be a comparable,
1: but but the data is valuable. So if you're on the commercial side and you're you're valuing, let's say it's assisted living. Right. And you're looking for data on assisted living centers and there's not a lot of data and you've got two other assisted living centers you recently had valued, I would be very interested in getting those reports and looking at some of the data they were able to to uncover because that might be data that I hadn't been able to find, right? And then I could go verify that data and use that data in my reports as well. So it's really like you're playing, you know, as an appraiser, you're playing detective on trying to uncover what the true value of a property is based on market data. So the less data you have, the more important it is to go find it in outside sources on residential, it's much easier because there's tons of residential transactions and there a lot of them are on the MLS and they're very easy to locate. So it's harder to provide something like that on the residential side than it would be commercial. Just I have I have like a two
2: part question, I guess, because I'm, I'm thinking about what you're saying. And it, this is great knowledge. I'm 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 wondering why it took so long to do this interview. This is amazing. <laughs> um, you know, what if I'm doing a flip in a terrible neighborhood and I'm going to have, I know that I'm going to have the nicest property on the neighborhood, but I, I know that it has to get appraised for some loans out there. What's, what's my best course of action when doing something like that, when I'm flipping a property in a neighborhood that I know I'm going to have the best house and the comps are not going to be great. Like, what do I do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, it, that that's a challenging one from an investor standpoint, because it's hard to pin down your ARV, right? Cause you're looking at comps in your neighborhood and ARV. Can you explain what ARV is to some of our listeners? Yeah. After repair value. So that's just like in appraisal terms, what you call what ARV is called is the subject to completion value. So you'll see that on an appraisal. When you get a residential appraisal done, they'll, if you're doing it as is, as it's existing, it's going to be marked as is on the report. If you're buying the property and want, want and the bank or lender wants you to value it as it would be completed in the future, today, they're going to do a subject to completion value. And they're going to take into account all the repairs you're going to do to the property that you're planning, and they're going to appraise it as if it were already fixed up.
0: This would be for uh, a new build too, correct? Doing a construction That's correct. loan?
1: That's okay. correct. Yeah. If if you valued a new build that there was nothing on the lot as is, you just have land value, Right. But if you give plans to the appraiser and say, you know, we're building this $300,000 house here, we paid $30,000 for the lot, two hundred and seventy dollars for the improvements, the appraiser is going to do a subject to completion appraisal on that and take into account the planned improvements with a hypothetical condition that those exist today. and that, And they're going to pull comps for structures that are similar in square footage, amenities, bed, bath count, all that of existing structures today. So that that's when you're looking at an appraisal, you've got edit as is, or you've got subject to completion. And so, Felipe, your original question was, what do you do when you think you're going to be the best property in the neighborhood? Well, an appraiser worth their salt is going to try to go find comps that are similar. And if there's none similar in the neighborhood, they're going to go outside the neighborhood. So if you've got like, let's say you've you've got a house that is, you know, 1500 square feet, three bed, two bath, and it's completely you gutted it, completely updated this thing. And in your neighborhood, you've only got you've only got two sales and they're both distressed. An appraiser is going to likely throw both of those sales out, not even use them. And they're going to go, they're going to expand their search parameters. They're going to go outside the neighborhood and they're going to start looking for updated properties, similar in square footage. And if it were me, I would pull 1200 square feet to 1800 square feet for that 1500 square foot property. And I would start looking for stuff in that range that's been updated, similar to the subject. And, you know, and so the appraiser is always going to be looking for the best data available. So if, if an appraiser, when you fix something up and they go and use those two distressed sales to value your property that's not market value for that property, so I would have a big problem with that if they did that on my report. So if they're worth their salt, they're going to try to find the most comparable thing, and if, if it's not comparable, they're not going to use it.
2: I love that answer, and that's great. and and I'm probably going to go back and listen to that again. But let's <laughs> let's do one more hypothetical. Let's say that the appraiser doesn't or appraisal doesn't come back at what I wanted it to. How do you feel about someone that challenges the appraisal? you know, based on maybe my own comps or what I thought it was going to be going back to I thought, right? (laughs) Um, Or let's go back to just I have some data that proves that, hey, I think this should be a little more than that. You know, how do you as an appraiser feel about that? And and what would you recommend for investors to do in that situation?
1: Yeah. So I would I would say that if you invest in real estate long enough, this is 100 percent going to happen to you at some point. It's just impossible. It happens to me and I am an appraiser. So what I do is I go into every scenario kind of knowing a range of what this thing's going to come in at and having a contingency plan with some money and reserves in case I'm doing a refinance and I'm thinking, okay, my my loan to value is going to be at 75%. I think it's going to appraise for 200 and it appraises for 190. So I got to come up with an extra 7,500 bucks to close, right? So step number one is like, don't assume that the property will appraise exactly where you think it will and have no money in reserves to close your refinance because that can get you in trouble, right? Step number two is approach the appraiser with data if you feel like they've missed something. I would not email them and say, hey man, what are you doing? You screwed this up. You mi- you really, you really missed a lot, left a lot out. Here's what I found. Approach them and say, hey, I was wondering if you had considered these comps. This one seems to be closer than some of the comps you pulled, similar in amenities. Would you consider using this in your report? If they say no, you don't really have a lot of leverage at that point, right? You can't make an appraiser stick a sale in their report. They're supposed to be an independent third party. So they don't have to do what you want them to, regardless, right? So this is just kind of like part of it. It's like you can't control the banker making your loan. You can't make them lower the interest rate for you. You can give all you can do is give the banker information about your situation. They're going to do what they're going to do. Same with the appraiser. You really can't control them, right? But you can give them data. And when it, you know, pertains to your value, I would always err on doing a lot, a lot of work up front, Ashley, like you were saying, give them the data, the best data you can find up front and don't be lazy and not know your data, like know your data up front and give them data up front so they can properly value the property with every bit of data out there and give them data on all the improvements you've made as well. It's much better to do that up front than it is after they've valued the property, you have the report and you don't like it.
0: It's kind of a follow-up to that, is if this is your first time ever getting an appraisal and you get this report and maybe you're not happy with it, but you don't understand the report. I mean, mm. the appraisal report, I mean, is at least, what, 20 pages long at least? Yeah. And um, I mean, I've got seen some for commercial properties that go over 100 pages. With that, who would the investor contact or who would they talk to if they needed someone to kind of... Walk through and explain the appraisal so that maybe they can, you know, take note as to, wow, you know, actually this is something I didn't realize, and now it makes sense or anything like that. Would they contact the appraiser, the the loan officer, who would be the appropriate person to kind of walk them through the appraisal?
1: Yeah, so there, so there's a, a document that governs appraisers, which is basically the appraiser rule book, and it's called USPAP. And it's the most boring thing you'll ever read. Um, I would not recommend going it to read. It sounds USPAP. exciting
0: to me. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's 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 pretty terrible. Yeah, but appraisers have to do their appraisals in accordance with USPAP guidelines, and so USPAP says that you cannot discuss value or the results of an assignment with anyone but your client. Okay, so if the client is ordering the appraisal, which let's say you have a residential loan, you're doing through a bank. The bank is ordering the appraisal because the bank is making your loan. You are not ordering the appraisal from the appraiser. So the bank is the one that can discuss value with the appraiser and you can go to the bank and get your appraisal report. So if you start trying to talk value and all this with the appraiser, they're not going to give you much because the bank is their client and they could actually get in trouble for that. So the best thing to understand is go to the bank and ask the bank to okay the fact that you could get your report and also communicate with the appraiser. And if and if the client is like hey this is fine, then you can you can start communicating with the appraiser. And a lot of times the bank is going to look at a couple things on the appraisal. They're going to look at the value And like maybe some adjustments or something like that. They're not going to read the whole 20 page report, right? So if there's something you don't understand, I'd probably go go to the person that ordered the appraisal, which would be the bank in this situation and say, Hey, I really don't understand this. Can you, can you help me understand this? And if they say, well, we don't really understand it very well either. um, I would say, could you put me in touch with the appraiser so they could just walk me through how I can actually wrap my mind around this thing.
0: Cool. Thank you. (music)
4: That's rre icom and use the code BP Investor. That's BP Like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of rent ready for only one dollar.
5: The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting, from finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: We have another rookie request line, uh, voicemail, and this one I like because it asks kind of some terminology to some appraiser terminology.
3: Hi, this is John in South Dakota. My question is, with the explosion of interest in rural markets due to COVID, I'm wondering how appraisals are conducted in areas where there is a significant lack of comparables. Are there any other methods investors should be using to estimate their ARV? I've seen mention of cap rate and gross rent multiplier thrown around a few times. Thanks.
1: Yeah. So cap rate is going to be something that's more used in commercial, right? So a cap rate can be found by taking the net operating income and dividing that by the sales price. So cap rate, something like if you're in a, if if you're appraising an apartment, you're going to, and let's say, let's say you've got a a hundred door B class apartment in Nashville, Tennessee, the cap rate may be 5%. All right. So for B class properties of that size. So when you're appraising this property, if you've got an NOI of a million dollars, you're going to take that million dollars, divide it by the 0.05. And that's going to give you your value on that property. So income producing properties that are commercial, you value those with cap rates. When you're on residential, it's much simpler and it's typically valued using the sales comparison approach because nine times, well, not nine times out of 10, I would say seven times out of 10, 70% of the time, the property's being purchased to live in. 30% of the time, it may be purchased as a rental, right? So most of the time, your sales comparables are going to have been primary residence buyers. So even with investment properties, you're still using the sales comparison approach And on investment properties, you'll also do the income approach. The gross rent multiplier is going to take the income from the property, have a multiple that it uses to arrive at a value, which has to reconcile with the sales comparison approach. So the gross rent multiplier, I wouldn't get too hung up on that. in residential, it's not something to get hung up on. But just know that in residential, if it's an income producing property, it's a rental and you're doing a, a loan on a rental property, you're going to do the sales comparison and the income approach and then reconcile those values for a, for a value overall.
0: Did everybody get all of that? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, and and the, I think the question was like during COVID, if there's not a lot of comps, what should be done? And they didn't say what kind of property this is.
0: Yeah, he just said in rural markets since there wasn't a lot of sales and now that I'm there's guessing, an explosion of interest of people starting to buy in the rural yeah. markets because of COVID, how are yeah. how should you find your comps? Yeah.
1: I, I'm guessing he's talking residential. So if it's residential, yeah. it would just be like our early example. You're just gonna expand your search parameters and look for the best comparable sales you can find. So that's always what an appraiser is gonna do. If there's if there's no comps within, you know, the neighborhood, they're gonna expand. To maybe a couple blocks outside the neighborhood. If there's no comps there, they're going to expand to the entire city. If there's no comps there, they're going to expand, you know, they're going to keep going out until they start finding comps and that's what they're going to use. So yeah. If it's commercial and there's not a lot of comps, they do the same thing. They just, they're just using cap rates, you know. So, like when I worked at CBRE, they've got data tables they build out quarterly on what these different respective property types are trading at cap rate wise in these different markets. And so if you're appraising a Walgreens, they've got internal data and all these appraisals they've done on Walgreens that they can they can use as data in their reports. And then they've also got data on Loopnet, CoStar, all this other stuff. And and on top of that, they've got these reports where they've compiled cap rate data in these different markets to give you a cap rate range for your property in your market that will help you with this.
2: So Josiah uh, to uh to not cut you off there, but uh to bring it down a level, because I don't know about you guys, but for me on my end, I don't know about my <laughs> listeners, but for me on my end, I just was like, whoa, that was a whole Hold lot on, of really it, big hold words. on, Felipe.
0: I have one more thing I want to add to that because <laughs> I love like the analyzing and the formulas and stuff like that. So I actually got two appraisals in the mail today for a three unit and a two unit that um, I'm putting into a portfolio loan. And I was going through the appraisal looking at it, and I'm somewhat familiar with it. But I was wondering, so if someone wants to use, take an existing appraisal and kind of copy that formula and like that format, because it is very, it's almost like an Excel spreadsheet when you look at the comparables and how they have it set up. Would you recommend someone kind of using that format and then using the formulas that they have listed to kind of do your own little case study before you actually get an actual appraisal on it? Or is uh, that a yeah. waste of time?
1: <laughs> yeah, you could. I, I would probably say that that it's probably going to be more likely that that the next appraiser you get has a completely different thing they're using <laughs> instead of software. <laughs> yeah. But your the principle on what you're saying is is sound, which is you need to know how to properly value the properties that you're you're working with. So basically, what I would probably do in that scenario is look at their tables and then look at how you did your math and see how close you were to it, and figure out what they're doing differently, if anything. And then tweak your formulas because there's tons of different appraisal softwares out there. Residential is is more streamlined. Like typically you might see the same residential software, but on commercial, like when I was at CBRE, they build their own templates, their own Word doc and Excel doc macro that, and like a lot of these different appraisal firms will do the same thing. And all their, all their reports look different, but they're all reporting on the same type things. So I would say it's probably more important that you just nail your own model down and make sure that you're somewhere around what they're doing with your math as long as the numbers are the same that makes sense
0: that's what i'm going to build tonight my own <laughs> there <laughs> we go. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> i'm
1: going to i'm going to answer josiah's question sorry Josiah.
2: nope that does not make sense to me so for <laughs> all the listeners like me who are like what did i just hear Okay, so there's this great biggerpockets.com forward slash REI forward slash glossary. You can go on there and you can hear all the terms that Josiah just threw out there as well as (laughs) Ashley. I kept trying to stop you, but I was like, nope, I'm going to let him keep going. There is a great place on BiggerPockets actually where they've built like a definition glossary style thing for like words like ROI and, you know, net operating income and, uh, you know, bank owned or, you know, just just tons of definitions for that. So definitely go and and check that out on biggerpockets.com forward slash glossary. Uh, if you had a little trouble following some of those terms where we didn't get to dig into all of those, that's a great resource that BiggerPockets gives out. Again, re- you know, biggerpockets.com forward slash glossary. You can go find all of those terms, rewind that, listen to it again after you've kind of done a little bit of education on some of those words, because half of that just went right over my head. Some of us are a little simpler. We just invest in single family homes and rent by the room, right? We're not, we're not, <laughs> we don't get that deep, but uh, I'm glad that you were, that you were able to to talk a little bit about that. So um, thanks for that. But definitely, like I said, guys, go and listen, uh, or, or go on bigger pockets website and kind of do a little bit of, of end homework on that as well.
0: Felipe, did you ever did you ever hear the saying, a lady in the streets, a freak in the spreadsheets?
1: Oh, <laughs> I, my God.
0: I feel like this relates wow. to this so
1: well. Oh, man. I, I think that might be a good t-shirt or coffee mug. It yes. is a t-shirt.
0: I've seen it on Instagram. Someone wear that. I'm like, oh, my God, that is me. I love
1: that's spreadsheets. A, that's
2: a real t-shirt? Wow, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. We got to get that. We got to wear that for the next show. No, yeah, the reason yeah. I say that is because, like, for me personally and this is going a little, a little bit off of topic but for me personally like i hear all the terms and by now i get most of them but when i started i was worried about one single family home and getting that first rental property and a lot of our listeners are interested or or like okay you know 50,000 properties or or you know grant cardone style money is great and all but i just want to know the next step on how to buy my next property, and you're part of, you're one of the R's in the Burr, right? And and I want to hear from Josiah. How do I just get the money back from my property, right? I wanted appraised. I wanted to hit the appraisal. I don't quite know yet what all the terms are, and it's really important that we educate ourselves on that. So you know, for me, I had I had to go onto bigger pockets and like read and figure out what each one of these meant because even through high school, this was a problem for me, right? Like I had to read the same thing over and over and over again just to understand it. So to all the listeners, I'm telling you, it's very important that you understand the lingo and what it means, because it's going to either positively or negatively affect your real estate investing. If you don't understand the net operating income, the return on investment, how an appraisal works, how an appraisal thinks, how, an app- how someone like Josiah is thinking in those 15 minutes that he's in your house appraising, because those 15 minutes can be the difference between 20 grand. Easy.
1: You know, Josiah, would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, there I mean there are some so like high level best practices I would say that are going to help you in this process. One is when you're getting your property appraised, make sure it's clean, right? Like think about selling your property, having someone that wants to buy your property. You don't want your property to be trashed and dimly lit, no no lights will turn on, stuff stuck on the floor, I mean like smelly, like you want it to be light, bright, make a good impression, right? So somebody's walking in your house, like you said, I mean, sometimes it takes a couple hours to appraise a property. I don't want to make it sound like it's always 15 minutes, but sometimes they're only there 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes they're there longer, but you have really one impression to make. Okay. And they're looking at the condition of the property. So even if you haven't put in granite countertops and stainless steel appliances, clean the property up, have the lights on, you know, have the, have the window shades open where you know, it's light and bright and, and pick everything up. That's going to make a better impression than if the appraiser literally can't see what he's looking at. Like I've gone in some properties, there's magazines stacked to the ceiling and junk like hoarder houses. You literally can't see anything. You know what I mean? So it's much more difficult to do your job. And the condition of the property is likely not in very good shape. If, if the place is just completely trashed with junk everywhere. So that's one thing you can do. Ashley, uh, am I, You want me to keep going or you have any questions? Well, I have a question.
0: Yeah, if I could jump in real quick. Sure. So, as an investor yourself, if you have a tenant that maybe is not very, Ah, has kept the house very nice, have you ever, yeah, offered an incentive as to, hey, I'm having an appraiser come. Do you mind keeping the house, picking up the house, having it cleaned, (laughs) and I'll take $25 off your monthly rent or paying for a cleaner to go in? Have you ever done anything like that? And, What's your advice on that to kind of motivate someone? This
1: is a, this is actually a, a, it's actually a problem in, in appraising going in properties on the residential side that are leased because the tenants don't want you there, right? Because the owner, the owner is not telling the tenants typically what's going on with the appraisal. So the tenants are all, first thing they want to know, are they selling the property? Are they refinancing the property? What's going on? Why are you in my house? And then the tenant doesn't own the property. The tenants just rented it and you're intruding on their life and you're snooping around in their stuff, taking pictures of all their rooms, you know, and so the tenants are very resistant sometimes to letting you in their property, which creates a problem for the appraiser because they'll, you know, they'll tell me like, this has happened so many times I could not even count. They'll say, yeah, the appraisal's set up for, for 2 PM tomorrow, the tenant's going to be there. They'll let you in. We've informed them. We sent them a letter. That's the worst thing you can hear. We sent them a letter. I'm like, okay, did you talk to them? Because so I'll show up and there's nobody there or the tenants are there and they won't even open the door and there's no property manager there or anything. And I can't get in. So I got to go home and come back and charge them a trip fee. So, uh, getting the tenants on board is a big part as a property owner, get your tenants on board with the appraiser being there. If you could figure out a way to incentivize them to clean it up, that would be great because the only thing to consider the condition the tenant's leaving your property in is going to affect the value on your appraisal. So if the tenant's in there trashing the place, that's going to be considered when the appraiser goes in there and values that. So if there's a way to incentivize them outside of just taking their deposit away to, uh, to, to have them actually take care of the property, that'd be, that would really help your appraisal value.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I have a, a short little story that I can kind of add to that. My friend, we have uh, we were doing a loan together for a property. And then he was doing a, a separate one, and it was for all tenant occupied. And he forgot to meet the appraiser at the property and the appraiser called me and because the bank put me down as a point of contact because i was sending the information for both loans stuff like that and he was calling me like all mad that nobody showed up and i'm like oh god now this is gonna affect my appraisal
3: yeah it's I mean, frustrating I think,
0: yeah and I, I for the and he had to come back the next day and you know my friend met him then but even then like having to coordinate the tenants through that like my stuff is now property management where they took care of that but for my friends property just like trying to get all four tenants to either be home at one time or for them to allow entry and you know he's a very he's not the type of guy to just put you know a note on the door and say we're coming in here's your 24 hour notice and even if you're right. not here you I don't hear back from you so any more advice you wanted to give on that as to how to coordinate with your tenants and handle that and make sure they,
1: (laughs) I mean, my, my advice, if it were me and I were having one of my properties appraised, I would want to talk to the tenant on the phone or, or literally text and receive a text back from them, acknowledging that this is happening and getting their Okay. Because the appraiser goes out and only sees three of the four units and they're doing a full appraisal. They need to see the other, the interior of the other unit. And you may end up with a trip fee if they have to come back. And it's also frustrating for the appraiser because. You know, some of these uh, some of these appraisals, they're not getting paid very much money, and they're drive. They may be driving an hour both ways to your property, so they want to make sure and get their job done and be as efficient as they can as well. So, if it were me, I would talk to each one of my tenants or have text confirmation. Another tip that will really help this appraisal process go smoothly is the day of your appraisal, send them a text a couple hours before your appraisal reminding them that the appraisal is about to occur and to make sure to have someone there to let the appraiser in
2: yeah that would uh that would be interesting i remember buying a property out in cookville tennessee once and i was uh, i wasn't getting it appraised but I, we were getting an inspection and the tenant just didn't wasn't there to let let the yeah. uh, inspector in. and <laughs> the landlord yeah. broke through the window. I don't know how legal <laughs> any of this is, but I, I I'll never forget the 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 landlord's legs just sticking out kicking as he's trying to get through the window. He really wanted to sell the property. I
1: don't know. That's Super hilarious. Crazy. Have you ever had to go
2: through a window just like?
1: <laughs> I've I've gone through a number of windows. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I feel like we I, all have. Yeah. All right. I yeah yeah you're. <laughs> We do a lot it. of crazy, a lot of crazy stuff as, as a, as a landlord, as an owner of a new distressed property, I've broken into a number of my own properties, just oh trying to get gosh. the door open, you know? So I've done that many a times.
2: All right. So this isn't part of the regular show, but I'm going to be dropping another bomb. Like I did on the last one where I gave <laughs> a, a, a super awesome tip. Here's my Felipe tip of the day. So For all you guys out there that are doing flips or wanting to add value to your property, I'm going to save you some money real quick. Seriously, if this is wild. So this blew my mind. If you go to, to eBay and you type in Home Depot coupons, you can get $20 off a $200 purchase from Home Depot. And it costs you $1 that coupon costs you $1 and it works. So if Josiah is coming out to your house next to check on your property to see what kind of value you've done, make sure that you buy these little coupons and go to Home Depot and use them. $1 will save you $20 if you buy these off of eBay. That is my You know, boom Felipe, bomb of I, the day. my
0: jaw did drop. I will admit that on last episode about your tip with Sarah, but I have to say I'm disappointed because I knew about this one. You Both already knew <laughs> about this one? Yeah, I buy the Lowe's ones off eBay. They're 10% off. I mean, I don't think there's a minimum on those ones, how much you have to spend. And then there's also like $10 off $100. So oh, yeah, those yeah. are Home Depot. I, I thought on this eBay. one would
2: tag on to the last one though, because yeah. you get $20 back but you still get that price match for 90 days right, forward. Right.
0: That's awesome. No, keep them coming. Yeah. <laughs> Every week. That's awesome. Okay. Hey,
1: I, I got, I got a tip. I got a tip. I want to, I want to drop as well. If yeah, you guys are please. okay with it. Do it. All right. And I, I said this one on my bigger pockets episode, but this one could literally make you 40 grand on your next deal. Okay. Uh-oh. Here it the comes. ROI, the, the return on investment on this could be ridiculous. Okay. When you're looking for properties, and this is something that you would only know as an appraiser probably, or you might've figured this out, a few of you, but most of you probably not. Go to go to Lowe's or Home Depot, buy yourself a tape measure, and start measuring your properties that you're looking at buying, okay? You're gonna find that people are listing a property at 1,400 square feet, and when you finish measuring it, you've got a 2,000 square foot property on your hands. If you're in $100 a square foot neighborhood, you just found $60,000 of equity by just spending maybe 10 minutes wrapping a tape measure around that. So, and that tape measure, it's going to cost you $15. Like, start doing this. If you're yeah. trying to build, let's say your first goal is getting 10 properties. Just do this on the next 30 deals you look at, and you're going to find five to 10 that, that you found hidden value that nobody else is looking at. And do that, and you're going to start finding really good deals, even in a hot market.
2: So, I'm going to give a hack on that because I... I'm <laughs> probably not going to go buy measuring tape and figure out how to do square footage on a house, but I'll tell you what I will do.
0: Get one I of the wheels. Found,
2: uh, yeah. no, I have found <laughs> that when looking for deals on the MLS, if I'm finding a 2,000 square foot home and it's got a two bedroom, one bath, in yep. my mind, I'm like, okay, there that's not right there's a bedroom missing there or a bedroom that i can add right so i'm assuming josiah that's probably the same thing that you're saying right i mean look at this square footage because a lot of realtors that i've met they're just posting the same square footage from when it was listed last time they're just copying and pasting they're not going in there to measure the square footage of the house so just like josiah said when you're out there looking for deals look for the mistakes also that realtors make 2000 square foot home, two bedroom, one bath. That doesn't even sound right. There's bedrooms or bathrooms missing in that. And there's tons of value add. Just like you said, you do 10 of those, you're going to find one for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And a good place to start kind of piggybacking on what you're saying is if, if you look at something like I, I talked about this as well in the other podcast, but I found a duplex that looked fairly large. It was two story and it was two bed, one bath on both sides. And on the listing, it said it was 1,200 square feet. I'm like, there's no way that each one of these units is 600 square feet. That would have to be 300 square feet on the first floor and the second. And the structure was large, right? So I was like, I think that's only for half the duplex. So I went out there, took my tape measure out there, measured around the outside of that thing. And the second story in like 10 minutes, discovered the thing was 2,600 square feet instead of 1,200. And that was the that was one of the best deals I ever. Did we walked in one hundred fifty thousand dollars of equity on that thing?
0: Wow, that's awesome! That's an awesome story. I think it is so worth to take that time. And would you say it took you fifteen minutes to yeah, actually yeah. measure it out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to hurt anything to at least try that when you're looking at properties. Around here, yeah. there's a lot of like two beds, one baths for sale around like a thousand square feet where mm-hmm. those, I think that you could probably find those deals where it's actually more than what's being listed and, or even find another bedroom in there too.
1: Yeah. Or just like Felipe's saying, like literally look at the listing as kind of a, a first initial smell test and say, does that look bigger than they're saying? Yeah. And if it does, then go out there with your tape measure. If it looks like a deal, you don't have to go out and measure every property. But if something looks off, then go out there. You could go out there and measure it real quick. And you may find that it's like, you know, 50% more square footage there than you thought.
0: And if you have no idea what the square footage is by like looking at a house, take your tape measure and just take a spray paint and make a a house in your yard. And like, okay, that right there is 1200 square feet. That's how big that is. And use that as a gauge or use your own house to kind of look at that is about 1,200 square feet. That's what that looks like.
2: Ashley, we don't so, all live on a 1,000 acres where we can do that. Some of us <laughs> would okay, have to use our neighbor's yard the or the yard or we'd have to <laughs> tap into the street.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to move on to one of our segments now. We have changed it up. Well, I changed it up and Felipe just laughed at me. But it's called the MVP. But we usually do most valuable player, but this time we want to do most valuable property. Yeah. So what is something when you go to a property, you are just like, this property has value just by looking at it right off the bat.
1: T- typically, when the condition, when somebody's taking care of the condition of the property, I'm automatically impressed, right? So, and like I said, it doesn't have to be, the amenities don't have to be like top end, right? If you're buying Mm -hmm. a property in in a C-class area where, you know, you're renting it, you know, it's, let's say you get it for 70,000 and it'll rent for 900. You probably don't want to put granite in there. Right. But an appraiser could walk into that property and have one of two experiences. One is everything's clean it smells good it's everything's put away it's easy to to inspect the other experience could be it's difficult to get into the property it's bug infested can't get the lights on it smells terrible you know what i mean so the number one i mean i guess the first thing that automatically impresses me is like when i walk into a place is it just the is the condition good you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean amenities it just means literally is is stuff picked up and put away. And it just makes a good impression on you, just like it would if you were selling it. Right. So I think that's really important
2: because a lot of times people are like, Oh, my tenant messed up the refrigerator. I'm not going to fix that. They should fix it. Or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to buy the cheapest refrigerator that I can and put it in there. But at the end of the day, you're hurting yourself because one you might have to go fix it again and again and again but two if you are going to get your property appraised or refinanced or whatever the case may be right you are walking into a property and you're going to see that this person is not taking care of their property and that might affect your you know your what your appraisal comes in at so i would challenge everyone to think about that when you're investing into your property make sure that it's going make sure that you're investing it i think in the right places right kitchen bathrooms things like that mulch, I don't think is going to give you the best return on your investment. You know, if you're getting it appraised.
1: Yeah, no, there's, there's definite obvious places that your money's going to go further than, than other. And I tell you one thing that just hurts my heart as an appraiser is I've been to some properties that are way over improved and it's really sad because the owner's like, well, I put this into it. And the sad response to that is that doesn't really matter. What matters is what the market is valuing this property at. So, putting, you know, having a gold, a gold plated toilet, right? That's not actual gold. Gold, you know, (laughs) gold painted toilet is not going to be, you know, it's not really going to help your cause any. And. Over-improving a property is a really great way to destroy a lot of value and lose a lot of money. So, and again, the way you can understand what would be over-improving is look at comps and figure out what the market is demanding. If you're in an area where everybody's got granite, everybody's got hardwood floors, and you've got vinyl, old dingy vinyl, and some kind of cheap countertop, it's going to hurt your value, right? So look at, look at comps, look at sales comparables and try to figure out, and it goes the same in commercial, right? If you've got an apartment complex, that has got washer and dryer hookups and it's got, you know, everything's updated, paints updated, water saver, toilets, nice countertops, stainless steel. And then you've got another complex that hadn't been updated before. No washer, dryer, hookups. You're going to see that in the rent that's being charged. And that's going to trickle down to the NOI, which is going to affect your overall value. So this stuff, all this stuff matters.
0: And not even just looking at the sales comparables, like looking at the recently sold, but look at units that are listed right now and what those rents are. I mean, I'm constantly checking Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, Zillow, Trulia to see what's being offered for rent. And a lot of times there's pictures included and you can see what those units are going for. And then you can almost go as far as being that freak in the spreadsheets and tracking it. Like, okay, that that
2: unit was taken off. It was listed. It's rented. It's gone. <laughs> I'm never going <laughs> to that. But, uh, that's going to be her new name up- on my phone. <laughs> <In the
1: spreadsheets.
0: laughs> if you keep looking at these constantly, you'll get a better idea of what is in your market, and you'll get to the point where you know exactly. Of looking at when you're looking at property to purchase, you would know exactly off the top of your head what that would rent for and to make sure that you're not going to put too much into the property. And I've seen, I can think of two duplexes right now that have sat on the market for over a year and a half where one or both units has was completely gutted, updated. And I mean like spa bathtubs and granite countertops and just completely overdone where there are no rentals at all that even have granite or hardwood floors in that area at all. And they've just sat because the amount of rent you would charge to get the the money they're asking for, no one would pay that for that exactly. type of unit in this area. Yeah. yeah. But let's move on to our, another segment we have. Uh, this one is random questions that Felipe <laughs> and I just get to put together. I love it. So the first one is, what is one real estate technique or strategy you learned this past year and have implemented?
1: I learned this past year.
0: Yeah. You know, Uh, not even like how to find deals or something you've done different in your business.
1: Yeah. I've been, since I'm now working on buying apartments, I've been going directly off market to off market owners and I built a team that we're contacting up to 200 off-market owners a day, and I'm getting leads that way. So that's something that I've done within this last year that I was not doing previously because I was working on one-to-four family. I know you can do the same thing on one-to-four family. I just had really good relationships with wholesalers, and I was getting a lot of good deals through wholesalers and my one-to-four family investing, and it saved me the time of having to do this going to off-market owners on the the multi-multi-family side. So I would say that's probably my answer is, you know, going directly, building a little team, and going directly to to owners off market.
0: That's awesome. I really like
1: the question,
2: and it's typically Ashley that asks this, but and I'm starting to like it more because I'm researching the piece of technology. But what is that one piece of technology that you love to use and that 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 you would recommend to other investors?
0: This could be an app, software, not specifically uh, an yeah. electronic device. Yeah. Anything.
1: Your pro- my answer is probably not going to be what you're expecting, but my one piece of technology that I would highly recommend is Instagram.
0: Yeah, really? Why?
1: Wow. <laughs> well, the Ashley's networking. really excited. Look at her <laughs> yeah. in, in, Instagram, Instagram and podcasting are my two. Yeah, you have maybe everybody's going to start a podcast after this, but you have the option to network with people with limited time. Right. And you can either go to local meetups and meet 10 people every meetup and cap out with the 50 people that go to that. And you could be friends with all those people. And that's great. Or you can start a podcast or get on Instagram and connect with people all over the world. And, you know, I've been doing my, my podcast that are doing my Instagram, which I've been doing that for about the past couple of years. And I've connected with so many people doing investment deals, including the two of you, through my podcast and my social media account. So I would say if you're listening to this, even if you're like 70, and you think, oh, social media is not for me, you can connect with a lot of really awesome people who are doing a lot of really great things through social media, and, and it allows you to network and just cover places you would never be able to network in person um, if you were using the old school technique. So that's really mine. It's a, It's been a game changer for me, just investing time in social media, which is Instagram for me, and investing time in my podcast.
2: I would agree. I think IG has helped me out a lot by seeing what other people are doing in other markets. And yeah. how that's trickling down to myself. I've gotten many ideas for my build-outs based on, you know, other people that are doing. And then, you know, seeing how other people are making money in real estate. So, yeah, yeah I would agree. IG has
1: been has been pretty good.
0: Yeah, we yeah, haven't had huge. anyone say that um oh, podcast or Instagram. So, yeah, that's great.
1: Yeah. It's like if you, I mean, to me, if you get those things right, you know, you can figure the other stuff out. So.
0: For the last question we have, do you have an, a, a crazy appraisal appraiser story that you oh. could uh, share with us? Oh, Just, yeah. you know, something oh, you man. think we wouldn't believe.
1: <laughs> oh man, I've got so many. I mean, uh, one time I was, I was sent over to appraise a vacant property and when I opened the door, the grass was grown up, you know, and I was like, okay, this looks dangerous. It was not in a great area. I go in there and start doing the appraisal, and this guy walks in with his hand behind his back, and I, and the guy had a gun and was like, "Hey, who are you?" You know, and I'm like, "I'm the appraiser. Don't shoot me," you know. And this guy's like, "Oh, okay. I'm I'm the next door neighbor. I'm friends with the owner. Just want to make sure no no vagrants were in here." <laughs> I was oh like, you know, and I mean that was just like a simple story. I had another one where this was the it's always the investment property appraisals. Those are always the, the crazy ones. So I had another one where. They scheduled the, the the owner scheduled, the appraisal said the tenant was going to be ready for me. I go out to the property at the scheduled time. As I'm walking up, there's a bunch of junk cars sitting in the front lawn. There's a a sign uh, like that's kind of fallen over that says guns don't kill guns. Don't kill people. I do, you know, (laughs) and then there's like, I notice when I walk up to the front door, there is a surveillance camera, you know, filming live feed of the front yard kind of thing. And so I knock on the door and the guy doesn't answer the door. He's like from behind the door. Who is it? And I I said, Hey, it's the appraiser. You know, we have a scheduled appraisal right now. He's like, I'm not ready. You got to come back in an hour. I was like, Oh, here we go. It's like, okay, I'll be back in an hour. So I left, went and did some other work, came back in an hour. The dude answers the door and he's got, he's got his shirt off. He's wearing shorts. He's got bright red hair, like dyed bright red hair, like not the normal red we're talking like right a clown red this guy might have been a clown <laughs> uh, maybe I was dealing with it I don't know yeah. Uh, wow. but, but he, yeah but but he's um he's got bright red hair and I walk in and there is a a projector screen projecting a live feed of the front yard on the living room wall and it's a hoarder house as well and he's got like magazines and stuff to the ceiling and the dude followed me around like half of like six inches behind me the whole time well, I did the appraisal and I was like, this guy might kill me. Yeah. Uh, it was terrifying. And I finally left and I told the, I, when I left and there was like, there was a dead fish stuck to the windowsill. There was a what? giant rat dead <laughs> in a rat trap inside the house that was just decaying and the half the lights wouldn't work. I'm pretty sure the guy was like cooking meth in there or something. Oh, right. And it was just terrifying. I think he was following me around to see if I was going to find his drugs and stuff. And I was just trying to get out of there. Hey man, don't look Um, in that cabinet right there. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was like, I'm just going to be out of here real quick. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, I left and I told the landlord, I said, when was the last time you went in that property? And they were like, Oh, it's been a few years. I was like, you need to go check it out. So like, you know,
0: did you offer to buy it? Since definitely has some value. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Tip, tip to all the investors out there. Like, do some kind of tour of your property every now and then. So you don't get somebody like that in there. That's crazy. Josiah, those are yeah. some crazy stories, some great
2: <laughs> tips, you know, definitely some great knowledge, some great bombs that you've dropped for, you know, appraising and what really adds value to property. So as always, man, seriously, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. But before we get out of here and, and, and close her up, Josiah, where can people find out more about you?
1: Yeah. So I'm on, I'm active on Instagram. That's at Daily Real Estate Investor, all spelled out. Feel free to shoot me a direct message or or whatever. I've got contact info on there. And I've got links in my bio there to my podcast, which is uh, the Daily Real Estate Investor podcast. And I'm also launching a new podcast on multifamily. We're going to document our process of going from one to four family investing into multifamily investing and got got Brandon Turner coming on that show to talk about his mobile home park investing. And I got Brian Murray lined up and a lot of other uh, great investors. So I'm excited about that. You can find a link to that also in the uh, in my bio on Instagram. So that that podcast is going to be multifamily investor or uh, multifamily Mavericks. And I've also got a book I would love for everybody to check out. It's titled dream it and build it how to crush your real estate investing goals. And that's on Amazon, Kindle or physical format. So yeah, man, it's been awesome. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Loving tracking with your podcasts and stuff and love what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I mean, you are doing so many great things at writing a book. That is awesome. And if you guys want to go back and listen to, Josiah had mentioned it in the beginning, but he was on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. It was show number 382. And it was actually two parts because it was just filled with so much great information. It didn't fit into (laughs) one episode. So make sure you guys go and take a listen to that. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. I'm Ashley Kerr at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Felipe Mejia at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes.